0: Hello and welcome back to the HR Uprising podcast. I hope you've all had a great summer. It's been hot, hasn't it? And today I thought I'd kick off with a solo episode. It's always nice to give you some fresh content. And I've been looking back over the 169 episodes, I think it is, that we've done so far. There's some great content that's already there that you can go back to. Um, I'm going to revisit some bits of it and obviously going to come up with some fresh stuff, but I've been looking at recurring themes, uh, things that people might want to know more about. You want more practical. Whenever I get feedback from people, it's often about how much you like practical things. So I thought I would do a series of how-to episodes and most of the how-tos will be about more sort of OD type stuff or learning development type stuff, because that's really where my skills lie. If you want more how to practical HR operational stuff, you can always go back to our HR's role in series that I did in conjunction with the HR independence, because we cover a lot of those really practical things like recruitment, etc. So we've got lots of content on that already. So there's sorts of topics I'm going to cover in the how-to series and I'll pepper them throughout the next few months. I'm not going to do them all one after another, I'll also be getting guests on. This first one I'm going to talk about how to show we are strategic or how to demonstrate that you are a strategic HR professional. Um, it's really about demonstrating your credibility and I want to do that one because I think it's something that is so often uh, brandished against us. I think many of us don't feel confident in this area. and I thought that that would just be a good practical way of um, helping people that might be relevant to most people. I'll also go back to other topics and build on those, which I know people have talked about, how to manage a change project. We've got lots of managing change, but how to take on a specific management change project, how to deliver 360 feedback, how to set up a mentoring programme. All of those are ones I'm planning on doing, and there will be others as well. So uh, in terms of this particular one, For me, as I alluded to previously, whenever you look at surveys, the CIPD survey, criticisms of HR, it's often that we're not seen as being strategic. I don't believe that we're not i believe that it's about the way we present ourselves or maybe about our level of resource if we don't have the time to be able to understand the business be long-term do those things in place or we don't have the confidence we suffer from imposter syndrome great episode i did on that we'll put links to previous episodes incidentally in the show notes that might be relevant so the imposter uh, yeah avoiding the imposter complex is a relevant one if you feel that way so often it's about confidence So what I thought I'd hear is be explicit. Obviously, this is my thinking on this. I'm not saying that I'm an expert. I'd be explicit about what I think we can do if you want to demonstrate that you are credible, strategic, HR professional, people professional within your organisation. So what is strategic thinking? Sometimes even answering that question is a bit tricky. So... Simplistically, strategic thinking is is simply thinking long term. It's thinking planning long term as opposed to being short term. So when we are seen as when we're doing more reactive uh, HR type roles, we might be uh, recruiting in the here and now. We might be dealing with an, a performance issue that has arisen. So those are more reactive, but strategic versions of those might be about working on attracting the candidates that we need for the future. So employer brand type things, it might be about addressing attrition issues, stopping us from losing people in the first place. It might be about um, strategies for developing key talent within the organisation um, and pathways for people to grow and develop, that sort of thing. Or in terms of the performance management, it might be about making sure that you've got a good performance management process, that your managers have the right skills um, and are giving people the best platform to be successful. That's my. That, so uh, those are strategic ways in which you might address uh, operational issues. And the challenge you have, that's actually my fifth point actually at the end, I'll come back to this, is when we're so busy doing operational HR issues, we don't have time to be strategic, to fix the problems in the the first place. So that is something that we need to, to balance. So in terms of how we can do this, I have made five high level points about how I would say we can demonstrate we're strategic. So let me outline those first. My first point is you must, must, must understand your own business or organisation right now and into the future. That includes understanding what are the current and long-term goals and strategies, what challenges or obstacles need to be addressed in order to achieve those strategies. You also need to be aware of the external environment. That's so important at the moment think about PESTL. You've probably heard of PESTL, a strategic tool. It's a way of analysing or being alert to environment. So PESTL stands for political, economic, social, technological, legal and environmental. And you need to think about that in relation to your business or industry. So for example, Political: If we were to have a change of government, what might that make a difference to your organisation? How might that um, influence you? If you're in education or um, health service, or actually any business at the moment, uh, that could have an impact on you. Some more than others. Economic: What's the inflation uh, that current that we're going through at the moment likely to have impact on your people? How could that affect them? What could you do to support them? And that may link in also to social. Technological. What technological inc- um, requirements are coming down the line or are evolving within your organisation? What impact do they have in terms of either recruitment or skills within your business? Legal. Um, are you in a highly regulated industry where you may need to ensure people are compliant or upskilled or have better audit of how people are uh, you know, meet- demonstrating you're meeting your legal requirements? And environmental Uh, in terms of all sorts of things there, I guess, whether we're talking about droughts, uh, if you're in an organisation that may need a a more of a green policy, air conditioning, people being too hot or too cold, Um, Maybe that's a sort of a social one, but all of those is just thinking about that they're all going to be relevant to a different degree based on the organisation that you're in. But you need to think about the impact of these things. There's no point being in a vacuum thinking just internally. Think of how those things are going to influence your workforce. So that is all me talking (laughs) in length, I guess, um, about the very first point where it's just so important to understand your own business organisation now, and not just where it is now, but where it wants to be. So you need to know what the long-term goals and strategies are. And if those are not explicit, you need to find out what they are. You need to understand what challenges there are in achieving that and how they might be impacted by the external environment. And then fundamentally, it's about making links between these and how people's strategies might support or impact them. This is the critical role for me as someone who is in HR or OD, because lots of other areas won't get it. They don't necessarily get it, or they don't think of it first. And I'll come back to that later when I talk about something called lagging indicators. So it's your job to help your colleagues in other aspects of the organisation understand that people's strategies will directly impact those and you may need to explain that or ask questions to help them. So the first point is understand it, the second one is make overt links about how people's strategies will link to these because if you don't do that you're never going to get uh, investment support whether it's resource or money. The third point I say is speak up and that may mean asking open questions about colleague, to colleagues about the likely impact of specific initiatives or investments themselves, and how they might impact strategy. So for example, maybe you're going to invest in a whole new set of processes, some uh, new processes or a new set of machinery um, or a new CRM system. So someone's making a case for something to be invested in, What is the impact likely to be of that in relation to your overall strategy? Is it actually going to help it or hinder it? Is it linked to it? Are there conflicts? Might it backfire? Um, on in terms of uh, you know doing something at the same time where there are other conflicting priorities, you do see that sometimes happens. So maybe you're going to do an organisational restructure just at the point when you need people to feel really stable and secure um, and deliver a consistent service to people. You know, so, so often things don't link together, or you're going to roll out a brand new system. Uh, at a point where you've got some customer crises or there's something broken in the system and that's going to make it worse. You can have, you know, it it's needs longer to test something or to link it together. So you can ask open questions. You don't just need to sit um, in an environment and just be the HR expert. You also ask other people, to take active interest in other areas and also ask how they might link. As a, um, someone in an HR role, quite often we're the ones who can encourage broader, more creative thinking and thinking, How is there a way in which we could address that in a different way? You can introduce facilitation, you can introduce exercises, you can introduce personality tools. Um, not so long ago, I did a podcast episode on the Six Hats, uh, to bonus Six Hats, if you want to go back and listen to that, you could introduce something like that, which would get your peers um, colleagues, or if they could be senior, you run it as a session um, to think more broadly. So that's the third point ask open questions, speak up, and take interest in areas of the business that are outside of HR. Number four is promote a balance between leading and lagging indicators of success. And I'll explain what that is when I get to it later in the podcast. And number five, back to where I almost started walk your talk demonstrate that you can prioritise and delegate to show that you're thinking long-term rather than being reactive. There's an adage, the urgent is the enemy of the important and that means you can end up doing things that are urgent but they're not necessarily the most important things which prevents you from being as effective as you could be. Read on the seven habits if you want to know more about that. Okay, so then I'm gonna go to each one of those five areas and go into a little bit more detail and I'll come up with some examples. I'll try and give examples from different industries to make it as relevant as possible, but obviously I'm not gonna be able to touch on all of them and sometimes because they're not industries that I'm in, I may not get it perfectly right. So let's go through some examples here. If we take a topical one at time of recording, which is universities we have just had um, GCSE results out today and last week was A-level results, If we think about universities well what do they really want to do strategically if you looked at most um, long-term visions for a university well what of course they they all need to be seen as highly attractive in order to attract students Um, they need to attract students through a number of ways but actually their funding is based on their student numbers particularly international student numbers and if you think about it that one of those that's linked directly to political uh, views because actually the extent to which they have students there um, is because of government policy as to tuition fees and the way in which they're rewarded. So they need to be more highly attractive to students. They need to rank highly in the various tables that are out there in order to attract more funding, maybe research funding. So how does that link to you if you're an HR person in that area? What would you do if you were HR in a university? Well, I think you'd want to think about things like employer brand, because it is partially about marketing, about how you're seen in the workplace. The other things you might want to consider are, have you got the best staff working within the organisation? How engaged, unmotivated are they to do their best? So thinking about talent retention, talent management, talent development. What about things like strategies? So different teaching policies and strategies what were the policies over Covid are they still in place Uh, are teachers being uh, lecturers being um, rewarded for demonstrating for delivering the best student experience face-to-face versus remote teaching all of those sort of things might influence the overall attractiveness of the university which in turn is going to influence the amount of money that they have in the thing is about that is if you are an industry like um, a university then you are lucky enough to have outside data because there's absolutely loads and loads of um, satisfaction data, um, rankings etc. So you've got data that you could look at. But if you're not in an organisation like that of course we can develop our own measures. Maybe you're in a different industry where actually you're suffering from attrition because a new competitor has come through and they're poaching your people. What is it therefore that's so attractive about that particular competitor? How could you compete with that? Is it their employer brand? Is it something about the, the reward and remuneration, the package that they're doing? Is it about the fact that people are disengaged in your organization? So they're looking for something else to do. So they don't feel connected, they don't feel a sense of belonging. That might be about performance management, how well you know managers are performing and managing people. It could be about, you know, so are our managers making people feel wanted, loved, know what their expectations are. Do your managers have the skills to do that? Do they have the motivation to do that? So all of those, we need to think more deeply about what might be causing this problem in order to think about what could the HR solution be for it. Other ones that you might think about, which are all sorts of industries, are things like unionised industries, where maybe there are issues in terms of strikes, people suffering hardship in the environment that we've got of increasing costs, How could you get on the front foot for these sort of things with your people? Um, How could you maybe work with unions to prevent strikes from people and the whole sort of pay inflation? Are there other ways in which you could solve these problems without long term pay pay inflation? I don't know whether you can do bonuses or whatever there might be, but thinking about how can we be transparent and supportive about the challenges of the environment that we're in so you don't end up with the organisation at in conflict with people through unions because that's not helpful Um, overall and let's say universities going back to if you were having that in a university we've definitely seen strikes with uh, uh, university staff unionized university staff during exam time which will have impacted on student experience, and quite unfairly. You can might you might see on the other hand, you might think actually the lecturers are treated unfairly because of pensions, etc. There's always two sides, but the main thing is, in HR professionals, how can we maybe get ahead of it? If we're going to be strategic, spot that that problem's coming down the line, and try to develop ways of preventing it impacting on your long-term goal of being a great employer and providing a great student experience and therefore being a high-ranking university. Other examples might be you're a technology company and let's say there's a brand new technology coming in and you know that people need new skills. It's not necessarily one that lends itself, it may work you know, work in a different way. I, I worked for a telecoms business and then Convergence they talked about, which is basically what we all do now, which is broadband. That was seen as a very different technology to telephony. And not all of the telephony engineers were going to be able to adapt to the new technology. So there was something there where you needed to grow your own or recruit in people who had the new skills Or, but you also needed to be able to have people who could retain their legacy skills and still support existing clients that were using older technology. So that would be something about really a development strategy there, about a talent development strategy. The NHS, oh, hats off to anyone who works in the NHS at all, let alone in HR. I think it's a very challenging place to, to work. I mean, Again, they are affected by uh, by politics. Brexit, there's no getting away from the fact that Brexit will have affected. They were already short of skills, um, but they're even shorter of, of stuff now. That would be maybe mainly affecting nursing staff, but also medics. Interestingly, going back to the university point, I only found out this year that we have a real shortage of doctors in this country. You'd think train more up. But actually... There are loads and loads of people who didn't get... It's so competitive. I think it's something like 10% of people who apply for medicine get a place. So that doesn't make sense, does it? You'd think it doesn't make sense. Well, the reason for that is that the government subsidises medicine places. So we have a chicken and egg situation. And actually, this is interesting. I'll try not to be too political here because it probably applies to all political parties. The big challenge we've got is a balance between short-term and long-term. And there's no motivation for a party particularly um off the back of covid and various le- elections to think long term so there's lots of short-termism in politics unfortunately and actually investing in, in medical places investing in sorting out our sewers so that we don't put, wa- put sewage into the water all of those require long-term investment and short-termism of our politics means that the NHS is always changing. We, we waste, there's huge amounts of waste because we focus on short-termism. What do you do for that in an HR, moving away from the political situation, given you can't do a lot about that if the government's not not going to fund more doctors? Well, I have seen innovative innovation. I saw something recently where um, a whole new recruitment strategy for nurses in a particular hospital, I can't remember where it was, from the Philippines and all over the place, um, will come in. So those nurses fantastic well done you've come up with a solution to have more nursing staff but then what you need to do is make sure that they fit in culturally it's not just simple as bums on seats we know that people from different cultures they work slightly differently Um, I know that certain um, cultures see the roles and responsibilities of being a nurse different to maybe the existing ones you need to find out ways to Really, I think if I was in the NHS in and, and a role there, probably the most important thing is culture and wellbeing strategies to to look after the people that are still putting it, putting their, so much effort in day in, day out and to try and keep the morale up. I'm going to move on because I think that we're not going to solve the NHS. Um, it's, it's, it's just just um, thoughts out there for anyone working there, working there. Uh, Financial services, entirely different. Well, they're interesting that you've got lots of knowledge workers, typically high earners, probably really quite liked uh, working remotely and are not going to be keen to come back to the office like working remotely because they probably had quite comfortable homes to go in, generalising, but lots of that sort of going on in the southeast. Well, they're not going to want to suddenly come into the office five days a week, yet some businesses are wanting them to do that. I know it's not financial services but I think it was Apple that was called out wanting everyone to come in. If you're in HR in that environment and someone at the top is saying we want everyone back in five days a week, well that is a great example where I think you have to push back and understand why. Why are they doing that? Is it just a control thing because you can't see people? If it's a control thing that's not really legitimate in that the risks of doing that is likely to cause, presumably, um, and my experience is certainly, most staff in those environments do not want to come back in five days a week. So if you do that, you're just going to encourage them to leave. So what you'd want to do is challenge the thinking there. Is it about productivity? Okay, what's the evidence that there's a productivity problem? And therefore, how can we deal with it if there is evidence? Is the issue visibility and access for younger staff to see the senior people. If that's the issue, what can you do about that? The reality is there are solutions that don't have to be the blunt solution of just bring everyone in five days a week. And it's our role as HR to challenge blunt solutions, push back, and come up with creative ones that are more in everyone's interests and are less likely to cause long term problems, people problems. So, hopefully, that was a number of examples, that one of which might resonate with you, about thinking about the long-term goals of a business, where you want to go, how that might be impacted by the external environment or specific challenges, and how you can make links between those and people's strategies. Now, the point of making those links is you actually have to make those explicitly, all right? You can't just make them in your head or in a strategy on a piece of paper. You need to help and, you know, repeatedly Explain those links, particularly when colleagues might be driving other initiatives or which may go against them. So you might want to or, or need to be prepared to challenge people. So be brave. That means get over the imposter complex, and this is the way in which you can, you know, stand up and be seen. Uh, you know, let's go back to the example I used in terms of maybe an MD ex- um, demanding everyone return to the office. Then you might want to say something, okay, I wonder whether we should consider the potential long-term risks to morale of doing that. All right, so that's more of a statement, a gentle challenge. You say, I wonder whether we should consider it's quite a gentle way of doing it. You could say, okay, what do you think the impact might be, given that 80% of people in the survey said they preferred to stay at home? So you could say, what's the impact, which is a little bit more direct. You, you read it as according to what's you. you, you the idea is open questions and getting people to think. You could say, I'm not sure that's a good idea because 80% of people want to retain it. So there are different ways. But the point is, be prepared to challenge. Often open questions are the safer way of doing it in a kind of non-confrontational way. Or I wonder whether we should consider, is there a better way? And then linking to the data because 80% of surveys said that they wanted hybrid working and our productivity hasn't declined. So there's something there where being able to just challenge and ask questions, or you might have something where uh, people are trying to recommend spend in a certain way. I don't know, uh, a marketing open day or a new CRM system, whatever it might be, where the business is thinking that something is the right thing to do, we need to be able to ask open questions about what's the impact of that? How do we see that linking with our long-term strategy? Are there any risks or conflicts between strategy X and strategy Y, both of which are likely to require IT, for example? Um, So thinking a bigger picture, don't sit as some person who's just the HR professional if you're assuming you're you're sitting within a larger team and if you're an HR department of one then you probably are able to influence long-term strategy and I know lots of people who listen are in those situations it's about showing your broader understanding and strategic um, understanding of the business. A linked point to this is being able to challenge dependency on Lagging indicators, basically understanding the difference between a leading and a lagging indicator, and this is something I talk about when I do um, the balance scorecard, which is a common tool that businesses use to measure success. And one of the reasons the balance scorecard—again, I've done a podcast on the balance scorecard—where that came about was through. Um, Kaplan and Norton, they came up with it, Uh, they they had illustrated that too many businesses were being run just through financial metrics. And the risk of that is that a financial metric alone, i.e. the balance sheet, uh, and generally the FD is the most powerful person on a board after the CEO. The reason um, that wasn't the only way forward is because the balance sheet is really a lagging indicator. A balance sheet is showing you what you did last year. Now, a leading indicator is something that's going to give you next year's balance sheet. So if you think about it, it's illogical just to figure focus on financials when what you're going to go forward is about leading indicators of next year. And um, a a balance scorecard would talk about other types of things around process, customer, um, organisational growth. And you can look into that in more detail. But I'll just give you an example here where you might illustrate it. if we're talking about it, many, many businesses focus very much on the financials and direct measures or direct things that impact the financials directly. So uh, an example might be cost generation. So if you are looking for a direct measure of cost generation, it might be marketing spend, um, spending on salespeople, sales things. Uh, it could be about uh, other things in terms of student fees or research grants if we're in a uh, university settings we were talking about that earlier or it might be about cost reductions so it could be reducing costs of resources it could be negotiating with suppliers to reduce costs it could be reducing people redundancies um, or fixed assets such as rents. So you can have direct measures, and some of those, if we did that now, for example, a cost reduction, in reality, that's not going to save us money until next year. So, redundancy programs, they don't say so they are a leading indicator, but they're a direct um, leading indicator that's going to impact the balance sheet. But they're also really blunt indicators. So, wherever you cut people, that's going to have an impact on motivation and morale possibly, and maybe even ability to productive for the long term. So as people professionals, we do influence the bottom line, but generally we do it indirectly. And that can mean that we're overlooked, basically because the problem with indirect measures is that they are indirect. The results might correlate, but it's often hard to show direct causation, unlike direct measures. But people are becoming much more aware of those things like employee engagement have been really consistently correlated with many, many direct measures from uh, customer, you know, in terms of customer satisfaction, retention. There's, there, it's very correlated, is quite widely accepted now as something, as are many others. But it's our job to demonstrate credibility in this area. And this, again, is where data is our friend. So, you know, can we point to other industries or organisations that are modelling certain behaviours that we're recommending? Maybe they've got a great employer brand and they invest in that or they they invest in an internal development programme or management development programme and have better results. Can you benchmark within your industry? and think about how you can influence these goals or challenge through these indirect people measures. I was thinking, because I actually have come across these specific ones. So it is, again, it's a little bit higher education um, emphasis here. Uh, However, many of us will have students or or kids in this environment. So I don't think it's too far off, but um, I have had conversations. I have a daughter going to university this month, next month, and um, there are two real examples that I've come across of university strategies that would have been influenced through HR during COVID. And I thought, I wonder how influential the HR department was and whether they had considered the long term impact or, you know, it just says something maybe about the culture of those organisations. So let me give you the two examples and just think about the long term, because this is in the context of strategy. And, you know, maybe the, the HR were outnumbered or there wasn't a strong HR um Position in, in one of them. So, example one. These are all based on real examples, but not one particular organisation. So, no return to face-to-face teaching during 2022. So, once we opened up the restrictions, they chose to continue doing face. Uh, they chose to continue doing all remote lectures. Um, and that was one of the reasons might well have been because they had got very large cohorts so they'd let lots of people in not through their fault because of the great inflation of large cohorts but um, they were doing all lectures online because they couldn't fit everyone in a lecture hall maybe uh, they might have had particularly strong unionization which resulted in strike action during end of year exams they decided to play it really safe in terms of open days or didn't 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 think it was so important for prospective students to have campus open days. So all of those were held online. And there's no sort of reports of freshers or hall experience in that cohort. So people, they did freshers, but it was all remote. So how would you expect that organisation's balance sheet to look? I mean, I'd expect it to be fairly healthy because they've got lower costs through online lectures and more students. So short term, the lagging indicator of that behaviour is probably going to look quite good. But if you think more about the leading indicators, and we start to the start, there's things like um, uni tables and stuff like that. How might that look? I personally would expect the employer brand to be pretty low. I would see student satisfaction to be quite low for people who um, didn't get their stuff marked on time. And, and prospective applicants may well be declining where they could have gone to only had an online open day with that particular institution but others were doing open days face-to-face where you got the human connection so from a from a lagging indicator balance sheet point of view I'd expect that example to be doing fairly well but from a leading indicator I'm not sure about that from a strategy example two well they decided to do blended face-to-face teaching and that returned immediately after lockdown so they were getting people were getting personal touch. Um, tuition straight away and more normality they did open days and what they did was they massively opened up their lecture halls took out big where they'd got big lecture halls and did open days with social distancing where you had to sit two seats apart so people come in person but sit safely they might have done a proactive staff benefits review to understand where pain points are in relation to staff and put things in place to keep ahead of the market to prevent future problems And they reworked their freshers' events. So they had freshers' events for people. Uh, They had to hold them outside to keep them legal, but they put in place huge marquees and with all the sides off so people could still have a freshers' event that was legal. So all of those would have taken a bit of effort, um, possibly a bit of cost. Now, so quite, but if you think about it, quite apart from the idea of where would you prefer your child or you to go, where would you want to work? I mean that second example in my mind demonstrates an organization that's thinking longer term and more strategically and by influencing the indirect measures which would also mean that people were engaged enough to make the extra efforts to make those things work looking for that long term it's highly likely that they're going to influence their overall goal and be a more attractive institution long term have greater satisfaction so our challenge as people professionals is making those links between investing in leading long-term indicators and not relying purely on short-term, particularly financial ones. So that was our fourth one. Who would have thought you could talk for that long on leading and lagging indicators? Don't worry, the last one's fairly, well, fairly short. I could talk for ages on the last one, but I won't. Our final point is, model the right behaviours yourself. Be seen to prioritise and delegate. I know sometimes it's easier said than done. You can't do everything yourself, I know, but even if you are an HR team of one, you can model those behaviours. Think about what your role is there to achieve. If you are short of people and you're recruiting five days a week, but your job is supposed to be overall HR, then you haven't got time to be strategic. You know, you, you know you're know, you so busy recruiting, it, you, you don't have time to think about, right, what talent management strategies do we need to put in place to stop us from losing people? Why are we recruiting so, so hard? You need to make the case to have extra resource, to delegate, to outsource, to allow yourself to solve the problem. The analogy, really, I'd say, is here. You are so busy running the bath, you forget to realize that you've got the plug out. So you're trying to fill a bath with the plug out. If you just stopped put to put the plug in, and let's face it, this analogy works, it's very expensive to run a hot bath at the moment, isn't it, um, without the plug in. Uh, then you know you'd get there so much faster with less wasted hot water and cost so that's the you know, analogy stop and think about how you're conducting yourself um I'll keep that succinct because I think you'd have a whole succession a whole episode on that are you busy, effectively metaphorically running your running the hr bath with the plug out and if you are stop and put that plug in think about how you can do it and if that means you have to go and challenge to get more resource make the case the points we've made above about linking to business strategy leading and lagging indicators show your value don't be scared to do that and if you are behaving on a regular basis by asking questions about other departments showing that you're interested showing that you understand the business and you are credible then you're likely to get that extra support and um and buy-in and that extra resource so back yourself really is what i'm saying so in summary we said understand your business now into the future including current and long-term goals and strategies be aware of that external environment, thinking of PESEL. Be prepared to make overt links between these and how people's strategies might support them. Be part of the business, not just HR. So understand um, colleagues, ask open questions of colleagues about the likely impact of these initiatives um, and how they might impact strategy so that just because someone else shouts louder, they don't necessarily get all of the investment. Make sure you know, you're an advocate for the overall business making good decisions. Promote a balance between leading and lagging indicators of success and make the case for the benefit of leading people indicators. And model the fact that you can prioritise and delegate to demonstrate that you think long-term rather than being purely reactive. So I hope that was useful to you. Thank you for listening and keep an eye out for more how-to episodes in the future. Feel free to let me know if you'd like me to do a specific how-to topic as well. I'd love to hear from you thanks for listening. So I really hope you found that episode of use. And I wanted to stay on the how to topic. But next week, it's going to be a guest how to conversation. And I'm really delighted to say that I've got Joe Irwin, who is our most popular, most downloaded guest to date. She's done two episodes with us back in 2019, 2020, and has had more than 5,000 downloads of those episodes. So if you're somebody who hasn't heard them, or even if you have, they're really worth revisiting. I'll make sure the links are back to them in the show notes. But the topics were how to be a great interviewer and also how to be a great interviewee. Well, now we're in 2022, Jo's progressed her content. She's got loads of digital content as well that you can access. And also because she's working much more online, she's way more accessible to those of us who are in the UK because she's actually based in Ireland, um, although a Brit. So... Uh, if you wanted to work with her personally, actually, she's more able to, more accessible than she used to be with that. But it's not really about that. The point next week is we thought what are her, you know, how she expanded her thinking, her top tips. We're exploring a number of topics that when she's coaching people, people that people find difficult. So, It's taking the next step from, I suppose, the basics of how to be a good interviewee is to how to absolutely maximise your impact at interview. So that's next week on the 26th um, of September. That will go live. And also, if you have got any questions for Jo, I appreciate if you're listening to this on catch up. It might be a bit late. But she is going to be available to um, answer some questions live on the 26th on LinkedIn. So follow me on LinkedIn. So that's the day you're hearing this. Um, Sorry, that's the day, that's next week. So listen out for if you want to ask questions to Joe on LinkedIn Live. And we're also doing repeat date in October for people who perhaps miss it. So if you don't already connect with me, I'll be pushing stuff out or follow Actus because I'll schedule some events where if you wanted to ask Joe some questions live, you'd be able to do that and we'll be pushing them out on LinkedIn. So hope you'll find next week's episode really, really valuable. Do tune in and get in touch. And if you've got a question for Jo you can't attend the lives, then why don't you message me or message me through the HR Uprising LinkedIn group, and I'll put a, a post there where you can gather those questions too. See you next week. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.